Hello, welcome to episode 14 of the Rising Edge DNO podcast. My name is Richard Kutcher, and alongside me is your trusty pilot navigating the world of DNO. Owen Dacey, how are you? Keeping warm, sir? I'm not actually, I'm freezing right now. <laughs> boilers, Same. I'm not even joking, boilers gone, heating's gone, so so that's happened today. Um, but but yeah, I've got a couple of fleeces on, so I'm okay. A couple of fleeces and I imagine a gilet just for good measure. There is a gilet on, yeah, correct. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, we've got to know each other too well doing this podcast. Um, so uh, crime, talking of crimes against fashion, uh, crime was our big topic in our last episode, Owen, and we're moving on to alleged misdemeanors of a slightly different kind for the next 35 minutes or so in the form of employment practices liability, affectionately known by the acronym EPL in our industry. Um, Owen, tell us why we're talking about EPL and, and how we're going to tackle it. It's another boardroom issue. I mean, you know, you ask the question to people, what is the most important thing in a business? And no, it's not the biscuits that they provide to clients. It's, you know, a lot of people say it's the people. Yeah. But sadly, what happens, you know, employers and employees have disputes. And uh, we know that having having handled those types of claims in the past. So thank you also for breaking down that acronym, EPL. That was going to help the uninitiated and also my dad, as he's an yeah. avid listener, that will help him. We have a two-parter. So part one, we're talking, it's a risk mitigation part, really. It's tips and discussion on employee relations and how to avoid a full-blown dispute. And then part two, we're going to talk about when the worst happens when there is a claim, how, how to handle it in a way that gives you the best chance of achieving a successful outcome. Great stuff. And so who do we have joining us then for this EPL chat? So we've got our very own Isabel Alvarez, who is a director at Rising Edge. She's also the um, HR director and has many years experience dealing with employee relations and disputes. And she brings an incredible perspective and, and loads of learnings, having been a conciliator at ACAS prior to, prior to Rising Edge. We've also got Louise Bloomfield and, and Charlie Sharma from the law firm DAC Beechcroft. They are both EPL specialists and they've got loads of experience, again, experts in handling employment disputes and litigation, but also advising clients on you know the pre-claim stuff, if you like the um, employee-employer issues that crop up before a claim. They are all incredibly passionate about what they do in this area, so it's a real pleasure to have them on as guests and I'm excited as I know I'm going to learn loads from this conversation. Fantastic. So as Owen says, this is the first half, the first part of a two-parter on EPL. And in this episode, Anjali starts with what the most common triggers are of disputes between employer and employee. Um, I think I'll probably take that one given um, the common themes that we see from employers um, trying to deal with matters in relation to their specific employees. And actually where this mainly tri triggers from is the employment relationships that there is uh, exist between an employer and an employee. So typically the types of issues that we see are grievances, employees feeling that they've been treated unjustly, that there's been poor management within the workplace, they don't feel that they're being promoted, they're not being listened to, you know, lack of opportunities, clash of personalities, which we see more and more in terms of common disputes between employers and employees. And actually, what we then need to make sure is that they are being dealt with, but you're always going to get triggers of 
disputes within the workplace. You know, it'd be very, very rare that we we see that not happening. Plus the fact Louise and I would be out of a job if, <laughs> if that was the case. So, you know, certainly from our point of view, it could be minor things that trigger disputes within the workplace. And typically, as I've said, it's it's disciplinaries, grievances, people thinking that they've just been treated unfairly and want to make their employer know about their concerns and actually wanting them to address them. Great. Okay. Um, so there's many, many different triggers, I guess, is the, is the, is the answer there. And uh, is there, you got any um, interesting triggers that you, you've seen in the past uh, or, or something that you've seen kind of over and over, and over again? Yeah, thank you. I mean, I, I would agree, actually. I mean, in the majority of cases, when employers land with disputes are, are pretty much because of uh, communication issues or personality classes. Also, you know, when you have difficult times, you know, like, for example, changing contracts of employment or, you know, we just went through through COVID and that was a quite a difficult a time for employers and for employees, right? And all of that will create a, a lot of uncertainty and a lot of difficulty. And it is difficult for employers to to try to to change the working conditions, right? And this uh, can can lead to to disputes. So uh, there's lots of triggers that can dis- that, that lead to disputes. But what should businesses have in place by way of internal processes and procedures to? Um, ensure those disputes are possibly avoided, but you know, if not avoided, uh, addressed and handled in in an appropriate fashion. What does what does the toolkit kind of look like for for an employer? I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, Owen, when you just sort of said, "What's the internal practices and procedures that employers should have in place?" And one would hope that they actually have some sort of internal processes and procedures. And the reason I laugh is because actually sometimes there aren't. Um, you know, you've got those sophisticated employers who do have a HR department who know that they need to have a handbook that their employees can refer to. You know, they've got contracts of employment that we, you know, they they point and you know, signpost things to their whistleblowing policies, you know, their disciplinary and grievance procedures. But, you know, we don't take that for granted that employee employers have that because often they don't. They are um, sort of riding by the seat of their pants, some some could say, especially with those smaller employers who, who aren't as perhaps as sophisticated, who don't have a dedicated HR practice to allow them to take that help and support um, that they probably need. So one would hope that they have all those internal processes and procedures in place. But if they don't, you know, there are um, things out there that they can help with. You know, they can take external advice from HR um, advisors, external lawyers, but actually ACAS as well. ACAS is a great independent body that employers can use to help them with this. You know, they have they have some great guidance in terms of how to deal with a problematic employee, how to deal with a grievance, how to deal with a disciplinary process. So there's lots of different things that employers, you know, insureds can can use to help them with that. But in terms of a toolkit, one would hope that, you know, they have the basics in place. Like I said, they have a handbook, they have a contract of employment, which tells the employee, you know, where, you know, even how much they're getting paid, who their employer is. You know, those are all of the important things that an employee wants to know at the start of that employment relationship with the employer. Like I said, we don't take it for... Um, for granted that those things are in place, but one would hope that, you know, that it's almost like a tick box exercise for the employer in the first instance to make sure they've got those things. I think that's fair to say, Louise. Yeah, and just to jump in there, in the UK, there is a, a statutory code of practice that ACAS have, which is essentially the minimum requirements that it expects to see employers follow when dealing with disciplinaries and grievances, which are the bread and butter of HR issues. 
And if they've not followed those minimum requirements set out in the ACAS code of practice, if the matter did end up in an employment tribunal, an employment tribunal would check that point. And if there are steps that have been missed, i.e. some of those minimum steps, then compensation can then be increased by up to 25%. So if we were to sort of send people away with the the bare minimum Mm. that they should even look at following this this podcast is Google the ACAS statutory code of practice on disciplinaries and grievances, because that's the absolute fundamental benchmark for handling those issues. Great. I mean, ACAS is a, an incredible resource, and it's great that, the, that that ACAS stuff is out there. But as you say, it's kind of minimum standards. What? Why do? You, what do you think is preventing people from having those things in place? Is it? Is it lack of awareness, resources, money? I don't know. It could be a bit of everything, actually. It's expensive for a um, employer to have a dedicated HR team. You, you might have an external HR provider who assists them with providing advice, but unfortunately, you know, we often see that you know, HR in inverted commas or employee relations tends to fall down the list somewhat in terms of expenditure for employers. So, you know, they perhaps don't give it the attention that it deserves. But actually, hopefully one thing that comes out of this podcast is how important it is to be able to get an employment relationship back on track. And if we can't, how costly it could be in terms of any legal proceedings. But I think I think it's probably a number of things that just in terms of resources, money, liability and not not perhaps understanding the importance of getting those fundamental things right in terms of the employment relationship because if the employment relationship doesn't work that significantly impacts actually on the running of the business so like you know you have larger employers who have dedicated HR professionals but you know for the smaller businesses out there who you may, may just be a few of them that's that's not going to be at the forefront of their mind in terms of resources and expenditure so it's difficult which is why you know having ACAS as an independent body is great because they do have template documents on their websites employers and employees can you know can access those in terms of you know how do I raise a grievance what should be you know in the in the standard disciplinary letter what do I need to tell the employee from the employee's point of view what do I need to know has my employer done it right so there's all of those resources that they can use is you, you worked at ACAS in your in your previous life. What was your experience um, that in terms of the help and resources they have out there that can can help can help employees who maybe don't have a an HR person employee director? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Obviously, uh, at, at ACAS, you know, there is uh, this wonderful service. I mean, you have a helpline. Employers and employees, uh, you know, can actually refer to the helpline. You can call anytime during the day, you know, and you can get independent advice by one of the helpline advisors on whatever your issues are. Um, and, and that is a really good pointer, you know, to, to actually understand, you know, perhaps the steps that you, you, you need to follow when you are a smaller employer and you do not have the resources available to have a, perhaps a HR function uh, in-house. So I would say that, yes, the easiest way. I mean, obviously, yes, absolutely. The ACAS website is great. You have all the code of practices there. And that is then uh, very easy to just go ahead and go back and implement, right? I mean, the importance of this code of practices is, is quite high because they do form the, the basis, the minimum of what an employment tribunal would be looking at in terms of following procedures you know, within the, the workplace. Let's move on to, let's say, perhaps a grievance is raised 
Louise Anjali, what are your tips for ensuring that grievance is handled in a way which which provides the best chance of avoiding a full-blown dispute, which I think I, I mean, most people don't want. So, yeah, what, what are your tips there? I think the first tip we would have to impress upon anybody is don't be afraid to deal with it. It's really scary when you get a grievance. You, the grievance could be just like a couple of lines going, I feel discriminated against, or it could be, as we've seen many, many occasions, 20, 30, 40 pages long, you know, the employee's gone to town on it. So you've got the grievance take the time to process what it's actually about rather than being a little bit trigger happy going oh, okay you know the employment relationship's completely broken down i don't know what to do to do with it because actually the whole point of the grievance process is trying to get that employment relationship back on track and this is the, the employer's you know prime opportunity to do that you know don't don't get us wrong sometimes it's just not possible to salvage the employment relationship at all you know there's a reason that the employee has put in that grievance but I think what the employer should be doing is speaking with that employee from the outset and at an early time to try and understand where they're coming from. That you know, because there's a reason that they've raised this grievance. It's it's taken them a lot to get to that point. Now you might think I'm being you know quite soft, but you know Louise and I are hardened respondent lawyers. You know, de- dealing with these types of claims day in day out. But that's where we see the pitfalls for most employers is that they get scared of dealing with it, and then they don't deal with it, or they deal with it in such a way that it breaks down the employment relationship even further. So like like we said, one would hope that there's internal grievance processes in place that allows them or helps them and directs them as to how they deal with it. But, you know, from a grievance process, what the employee wants to see is it being dealt with quickly and, and in a manner which takes their concerns seriously. So speak to the employee from the outset, tell them what you're going to be doing, go through the grievance, you know, point by point, if you have to, to make sure the person that's dealing with the grievance has an understanding of what those concerns are. And actually, if the person dealing with the grievance has never dealt with a grievance before, and you know, most managers don't deal with this on a day in day out basis, make sure that they've got some guidance to assist them with doing that, you know, you know, an ACAS again has some really good guidance notes on, you know, what you need to do, what you need to consider, who needs to speak to who, but just to keep the employee up to date about what's going on. Because if it's a really convoluted grievance, it might take you a little bit of time to investigate. So you don't want to be rushing through the grievance and almost thinking that the employee just wants to hear what they what you think they want to hear actually take your time in dealing with it speak to the employee speak to those individuals whom you may need to speak to in terms of the subject matter of the grievance go back to the employee if you need to but give them the opportunity to, to sort of raise their concerns to talk to you about it because nine times out of ten you can probably get the employment relationship back on track but you know there's that 10% chance that you absolutely can't, that it's broken down so far. But then actually at the back of your mind, what we would want employers to be thinking about was, okay, if I can't resolve this, where is it going to go? Is it going to be the case that this is going to be a litigated matter? Am I satisfied that I have done everything that I need to do to try and address those issues? So look at what the resolutions are. You know, Can we thought can we think about some internal mediation, even external mediation? You know, ACAS has those resources as well, just to try and see if we can put those issues to bed for both the employee and the employer at the end of the day. So I think the biggest tip I can give to employers, I think probably Louise would agree with me, is like, do not ignore grievances. You know, really take them seriously and deal with them as 
quickly as you can, but fairly and thoroughly, because there might be that little nuance issue that you miss by just sort of rushing through the process. It's almost almost like a tick box exercise from the um, grievance point of view, right? Have I dealt with that point? If not, why not? Do I need to go away and do an, another investigation? So it can be time consuming. It can be costly, but actually the longer term costs of not dealing with it properly will probably outweigh the initial costs of making sure it is dealt with properly. Yeah, that's great. And I think I think with any kind of stressful situation or, or difficult situation, yeah, there can be the kind of human nature can take over sometimes. And I, I can see why people might running into it too quick or not, or not dealing with it thoroughly. So um, I think those are great tips. Issa, what about, have you got anything you want to add there in terms of tips for handling grievances? You've handled a few? Yeah, I I had to deal with a few grievances in my time. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, my my main point I would say when you when you have a grievance is uh, just make sure that you listen. Uh, listening is a very difficult. It's more difficult than what it looks like, and, um, and sometimes, uh, you know, emotions run high right during these disputes. And of course, it's, it can be easy to actually take it personally. And I would say, you know, just take a step back and really, uh, you know, just listen to what is being said. Pay attention because indeed, if you do, you might be able to actually you know, just apply a solution or find a agreeable solution that will deal with the dispute without escalating it. The problem is that very often, you know, then emotion runs very high and uh, and then, you know, we can all make mistakes when dealing with, with these processes, right? They are not, uh, they're not always very easy. That's um, some chat about grievances there. I'd like to do the same for, I think, another another area which is probably a really difficult one for employers and, and maybe doesn't get done all that well all of the time, I would say a disciplinary. So could um, Louise and Charlie, again, could you sort of run us through some tips for how to handle um, disciplinary issues in a way that, again, mitigates that possibility of, a, of it running in, uh, turning into a, a proper full-blown dispute? or claim sure i mean i, mean, I think with with disciplinaries in particular the really really important point here is the process because if the process is poor then it is going to lead to you know it being a potentially unfair dismissal so what's really important is is that the the employer has a good disciplinary policy or it's not a disciplinary matter but it's a it's it's a process that's leading to a dismissal, such as for a redundancy or for performance or something, that there is also a process in place for that as well. So what's really key here is that the person who's dealing with that disciplinary has an understanding of the process and the minimum steps. The minimum steps, let's take a conduct dismissal, for example. What What is the... What's the, the, the thing that the employee is alleged to have done, whether it be theft or verbal abuse, harassment, something like that? There then needs to be an adequate investigation carried out. They then need to be invited to a disciplinary hearing that needs to be heard by somebody different to who carried out the investigation. There then needs to be a consideration of the evidence And then a decision needs to be made based on what is a reasonable decision for the employer to take. It's what's called the reasonable steps and and also what is the the, the appropriate outcome for this. Should it be, is it gross misconduct? Does it need to lead to dismissal? Or could it be commuted down to a final written warning? So what's the appropriate sanction? And then the employee does have the right to appeal against the outcome that's delivered to them. 
if we get those minimum steps in place, then that's putting the employer on a surer footing to ensure that that process is fair and also that the decision is within the band of reasonable responses that an employer is entitled to take. So making sure that's in place, that for me is the key to mitigate that risk of those future disputes. Because a lot of the disputes that we see, particularly on EPL claims, are where the employer has done an ill thought through process. You know, whoever's done the investigations, done the disciplinary, or the allegations that are put to the employee don't quite then match the decision that's taken to dismiss them. Or if it's a a redundancy process, that 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 creates, I think, a higher burden because you know, particularly if someone's to lose their job through no fault of their own, what decisions have been taken as to why there's that job being removed? Are there other employees that do a similar job such that they should be pooled together? What's our selection process for determining that that person should lose their job? But also really importantly, and to go back to, to, to Isabel's point, listening like I say, it's an underrated skill, actually, in all employment disputes. So listening to the, what the employee's got to say, there is sometimes a tendency, particularly in disciplinaries, that they've done it and we're just going through the motions to prove that they've done it to get them out. But they might have a plausible explanation as to what's happened. Maybe other things going on that we need to take into account to decide what is the appropriate outcome here. So Another really important tip is to not go into any decision that could lead to the dismissal of an employee with a prejudged outcome. And that is something that a tribunal will look at. They will say that a dismissal is unfair if the employer didn't have an open mind when it went into that process. So to, to sum up, your process is really important. It's that bedrock, but also that prejudgment is something that you have to avoid going into things with an open mind and listening to what the employee has to say before making that decision to terminate somebody's employment. The thing I would also probably say is if, if there is some predetermination in adverted commas, especially around a redundancy situation, because you will probably have turned your mind to specific employees that maybe aren't doing what you need them to do, is remember in employment tribunal proceedings, those documents where you have committed your thinking in writing could potentially be disclosable as well. So, you know, certainly from a redundancy and a disciplinary process, um, if you are thinking about committing anything to writing, maybe just also think at the back of your mind, ah, am I going to have to disclose this? Is this going to be problematic for us? Especially when we are talking about sort of something that's process driven as a disciplinary process is. So again, that's a really good tip is just think about, you know, what am I what am I committing to writing? Even whether it's by text message or instant messaging or emails or documents, remember that those documents can be and probably are disclosable. Great. So that's some some good examples there, really, of where 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 companies can really um, most commonly kind of fall short on these things. Is there have you have you seen any got any good examples of or areas you think where people kind of fall fall short on these on these processes and procedures, you know, for disciplinary or redundancy? 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, um, one tip, you know, that I would uh, say for employers is that make sure that you train your managers. If people don't know how to carry out disciplinary procedures or grievance procedures, and let's face it, they are not easy things to go through, then, you know, just make sure that you do train your managers, train your people. And then the other one would be to make sure that you do indeed keep an open mind throughout the process to make sure that you do reach the correct or the right outcome, right, in in that process. And uh, depending on what your findings are, I would say do not be afraid to rectify any mistakes that might have been done during the process. So if you recognize, for example, during that disciplinary, I mean, sometimes it can be difficult to actually say as an employer to go back and say, okay, we, we made a mistake. Don't be afraid to go back and rectify because that might actually solve, very much solve the, the dispute in itself. Fantastic tips. Thank you. Okay. So we'll move on now to ACAS. So we, we've talked a bit about ACAS already as, you know, being this a very good resource for employers and employees. But we'll just run, I mean, just, just in case people don't know, could, could you guys run me through what, what the kind of process is with ACAS? Because um, you'll see the once we've gone past the kind of, once we get into the kind of dispute area, the employ, employee will make a referral to ACAS. So could, can you talk us through that process? So ACAS have a really important role to play in employment tribunal litigation and therefore the world of EPL in particular, because... Before an employee can bring an employment tribunal claim, they have to have gone to ACAS. And it's with a view to trying to get the parties to resolve matters. And they have a, you know, a pretty high success rate of doing so as well. Whilst it is a litigation step, it is also a useful tool to try and resolve those matters that can't be resolved internally between employer and employee. So what, what ACAS do is if an employee has typically gone through the internal processes at the employer and their grievance, for example, has not been resolved to their satisfaction or they have been dismissed, then if an employee is so minded to bring an employment tribunal claim, they then have to go to ACAS to embark on what's known as the early conciliation process. And what they do is they contact ACAS and effectively say, I am thinking of bringing an employment tribunal claim against my employer. And the ACAS officer will take some details of that. They don't have to give chapter and verse at that point. They could literally say, I'm going to bring an unfair dismissal claim, or I think I've been discriminated against because of my race. Like I say, they don't have to go into the whys and wherefores. They'll give, obviously, the employer's details. And what ACAS will then do is that they will then contact the employer and say, your employee has then has, has essentially contacted us to say it is thinking of bringing a claim against you. What have you got to say about it? Do you want to consider conciliation? And then the, there is a period of time, um, it's up to eight weeks, whereby the, the, the ACAS officer can act as an intermediary between the parties to try and resolve matters. So that could be, you know, Sometimes it's as simple as an apology can be, a, you know, an effective form of settlement or um, a reference. But typically, it will be trying to try and broker a financial settlement. And then, if that is successful, then ACAS can effectively draw a it's a short form settlement agreement known as a COT three together, um, and the parties essentially undertake 
between themselves to this is the end of the matter. If, however, that can't be reached, then what ACAS will say is early conciliation has failed and they will issue a certificate to the employee that essentially says, here is your essentially green card to go off and bring your tribunal claim. So that's that's the sort of the nuts and bolts of it. The, there's a the couple of important points. Firstly, an employee has got to go to, if it wants to bring a tribunal claim, it needs to do so by contacting ACAS within three months of the date of termination, if it's an unfair dismissal claim, or three months of the, the, the thing that they say has happened to them, so the act of discrimination or the detriment that they've suffered from being a whistleblower. So they've got a three-month time limit to do that. And then what, what effectively happens is by contacting ACAS, it pauses time in the limitation period. And then once the ACAS early conciliation period has come to an end, if the, if the matter's not resolved and the certificate has been issued to the employee, they then typically have a further month in which to bring a tribunal claim. You don't have to wait the whole three months, though. So the other important point to be aware of with ACAS is that an employee can contact ACAS and say, I'm contacting you to let you know I'm going to bring a claim against my employer. I'm not interested mm. in actually trying to conciliate this matter. So it can almost be opened and closed immediately and the certificate be issued. Also, if ACAS contact the employer and say, this employee is thinking of bringing a race discrimination claim against you, employer can simply say, not interested, we've done nothing wrong. And that brings the conciliation period to an end. So there's not an elongated process. It can be quite short or it can take the full amount of the of the up to eight weeks to try and resolve matters. But in essence, it's like I say, it's a mandatory step that must be taken and that the, the claim form itself has to have the certificate number on it to be able to be accepted by an employment tribunal. Just because matters aren't resolved during that early conciliation period doesn't mean that ACAS then vanish once the claim is actually issued. So let's say a claim is issued and we're then in actually in full-blown litigation, for want of a better term. There'll still be an ACAS officer assigned to the case. So the parties can start to litigate. So a claim can be issued, a defence can be submitted but it still means that the parties can actually contact ACAS and say, do you know what, we still want to talk about settlement. And so that the life of ACAS will endure for the period of the claim. It's just that that early conciliation, that pre-litigation step is there to try and encourage that at an early stage. And it is actually very successful because I think what it does psychologically is it gives the employee a third party to talk to, to help broker that, particularly where the relationship between them and the employer have broken down. It's mandatory, right? But then the respondent can just say, I'm not interested. So, but I could see it. I could see how it would be in and of itself, incredibly important and a useful resource still to have that first external resource, like you say, for the employee to, to talk to talk to about it. Again, Issa, you've, you come with experience makers. Have you got any, um, some further tips you can, you can um, speak to us about for handling the referral to ACAS? 
Actually, I used to be one of the conciliators, right? And it is a, it's really a fantastic, a fantastic job. I mean, because you know, if you if you think you you are able to see the dispute, you know, at the very earliest stage, if you want, I mean, in in the sense before it reaches the tribunal, that actually you are able to see both sides of the of the dispute, right, very early on. And what I would say is, is again, I mean, it is for me, it's an opportunity for employers. It's an opportunity to to settle and to put the issue to bed early on without having to incur into uh, lows of cost, right? And let's not just think about a financial cost, which absolutely, but uh, also about management time, right? Dealing with these disputes is never easy. And uh, and it is quite, it can be quite lengthy depending on what uh, type of issue we're looking at. So actually to give you, to give you a little bit of data, the, the data that actually ACAS has published from 2021, they received in early conciliation about 100, and 3,000 more or less cases. And, you know, only 27% of those actually reached the employment tribunal, right? So in one way or another, the assistance from ACAS and from the conciliation department was able to either settle uh, the disputes through Code 3 agreements, for example, or, you know, or 61% of those disputes didn't progress to the tribunal at all, right? So, which is quite significant if if you think about it. That's an incredible stat. I mean, what do you think of that, Louise Anjali, that, that stat there? Has that been your kind of experience? That you- Absolutely. They are. It's an incredibly useful resource. Yeah. We don't just see it as a sort of the stepping stone to litigation. Mm-hmm. It's a matter, particularly on EPL claims, where insureds hear from ACAS it's the time when you want to pounce upon that to try and resolve the matters and almost using the, the opportunity to educate insureds in particular to not just ignore it or to give it short shrift, but to engage because of that sort of su- that success rate that they have. It may then not turn into litigation, which inevitably is going to be much more costly for both them, for insurers, etc. And also, you know, employment litigation is incredibly emotional and I think you can underestimate the emotional impact so the opportunity to potentially resolve it not not at any cost obviously but to try and resolve matters at an early stage is incredibly powerful just just to add to that statistic as well what's really interesting I've just been recently looking at the national employment tribunal statistics and to my earlier point that you have ACAS with you throughout the life of litigation at least 25 percent certainly for the last three years of data that we do have, of all the, of, of the, all the sort of tribunals that do then turn into, re, into fully blown, uh, full-blown litigation, at least a quarter of them are, are then still resolved by ACAS. So you can see that ACAS have an incredibly important role to play at the outset of litigation, but also during it as well in terms of helping parties resolve matters. Yeah, and also, I just um, something occurred to me there. This is a number of disputes we're talking about here. I know that we might get onto this, but the the tribunal service maybe is um, there's a slight issue there in terms of backlog. Should we put it put it lightly. <laughs> how are ACAS getting through all these things, and how are they, are they they must be fairly well resourced and um, uh, to be turning these things around in a short period as well, or or you know what's what's going on there? They obviously ramped up um, when ACAS early conciliation was introduced. They obviously had to increase the number of ACAS officers. 
So they are they are better resourced, and I think there's also a better awareness of what they do as well. So being you know using the ACAS service appropriately, I think is is also been our experience of yeah. what people are you know how people are engaging with them as well. Absolutely, you know, and Isabel, I think we've probably come across each other before, you know, in in our lives as ACAS officers and employment solicitors. But you know, we, there are some fantastic ACAS conciliators mm. out there who have very challenging jobs I think it's fair to say especially when you're dealing with a very emotionally involved claimant who may not want to listen to what's being told to them by ACAS you know obviously we will always defend our client's position you know this claim is nonsense or you know it's not worth a million pounds you know it's worth five grand at best you know and trying to be able to get those important and key messages across to all of the parties isn't easy. And I think, as, as Isabel said in one of her early points, actually listening, you know, the skill of listening to both all sets of parties is really important. And ACAS are always there at the end of the phone. And as Louise said, it's they are there through, it's almost from cradle to grave, I think. You know, you know, they are the ones, if we are settling on the doorsteps of the employment tribunal, you know, we're about to start a 13-day hearing and all of a sudden the parties want to settle. It's ACAS that we go to to try and get that legally binding settlement. So they are a phenomenal resource, you know, one that can't be underestimated. But I think it also goes back to the point that if ACAS are involved, they are involved for a reason. If it is a bit of a dog's dinner, so to speak, you know, we would want to try and resolve it early so from from your point Owen as a as an insurer you would want to make sure that you guys are being kept in the loop you know are we being notified about this as a potential circumstance under the policy do we know about it should we be getting you know defense panel involved at an early stage and almost making sure that if there is an opportunity to try and resolve something that could be quite problematic and quite costly that opportunity isn't being lost yeah, absolutely. And, and I think a lot of the lessons actually coming out of this that I've, I'm getting from dealing with the, the grievance, the disciplinary, everything is is, talk, is kind of all some of the lessons about early engagement and proactivity. And that just applies equally to engagement with your insurers if you, if you have EPL insurers. So um, yeah, all for that. Well, thank you to Isabel and Charlie and Louise for that first part of our EPL two-parter we'll be back next time with part two where we mostly focus on what happens in the event of a dispute and claim how to handle it and i look forward to future trends in the meantime owen i guess it's uh, have a good break and stay warm thanks richard see you next time